you're listening to the Knowing Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Linnell Peters, and it's an honor to walk alongside you in motherhood, whether the journey is just beginning or you're right in the thick of it. I believe that your worth as a mother is not based on your performance and that your greatest strength is the love that you have for your children, whether they're in your arms or only in your heart. My prayer is that this little corner of the podcast world will leave you feeling more equipped, more hopeful, and less alone than when you arrived. Hey friends, welcome to Knowing Motherhood. If this is your first time here, I just want you to know how welcome you are. It's a significant blessing in my life to get to sit with you through the hard stuff and grow together in our motherhood journeys. We've all been given a story to tell and no one is more important than the next. Our stories are truly meant to be shared. And we can trust God to give us the grace to do that, whether it's in person with a friend, with your church home group, through the writing of a book, on a stage, or through a blog or a podcast. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and October is also the month that our tiny baby boy, River, was delivered still when I was 17 and a half weeks along. It's hard to believe it's already been three years, but as time goes on, I find myself fighting the pain less and welcoming with open arms the grief that doesn't come all that often anymore. Before it felt raw and exhausting and scary, and now I feel like I'm loving my lost son with my tears. It's a new experience, a kind of peace in the pain and something I'm really thankful for. Today's guest is my sweet friend, Nelia Evans. She is a wife, a mother and teacher, and part of her motherhood story is difficult to share, but she does it so honestly and with beautiful courage. The wisdom she shares about her time walking through the short life of her daughter, Grace, will remind you just how much God longs to not only walk with us through these valleys that life brings, but also how he speaks to us right where we're at. Towards the end of her time together, Nelia shares about the important lesson she learned by watching her children grieve. Make sure to listen for that. Here's our conversation. Hey, Nelia. Hello, hello. So good to have you on the podcast today. You have been such an inspiration and an encouragement to me, and I'm so excited to get to share your story with everyone today. Well, I'm very excited to be here as well. I always told myself if anyone ever asked for me to share my story that I would always share our amazing journey of grace. Yeah, and you do have a beautiful story. And yeah, and I am. I'm so happy that you are well that you were willing to come and do that. Um, it's um, it's a story of of a lot of pain, but it's also filled with a lot of hope and mm. a lot of beauty. And uh, so why don't we just jump right in and why don't you just share uh, a little bit about your family and then your story of your precious Gracie. Absolutely. So uh, Andrew and I were, uh, I guess you could say childhood sweethearts. I met him at 12 years old at our church camp and we started dating at 16 and I was married at 19. And uh, we waited quite a while before we had kids. And uh, we had our first Olivia. Uh, She's 14 now. And our son then came 18 months later. And he just turned 13. And so we kind of thought we were, kind of thought we were done. We had our beautiful two children and things were going quite, quite well. And uh, little did we know we had a little unexpected blessing. And we found out that I was pregnant with Grace um, quite unexpectedly because, as I said, we were, we thought we were, <laughs> we thought that ship had sailed. And so it was a bit of a shock because um, that meant that I would have three children three years and under. And so it was a bit of a surprise that I was pregnant. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, we were super excited and um, everything seemed fine until that. Uh, first ultrasound and have having already been through two um, just kind of knew things were were different they were spending a lot of time kind of around her head and and then the dreaded words um, 
you know, I, I just need to go check something. And then the technician was gone for a really long time. And that's when, you know, the fear starts to, to set in. And uh, she came back and looked very worried. And of course, wouldn't tell us anything and just said, you'll hear the results from your doctor soon. So we went home and just kind of hoped for the best, hoped that maybe she was just a new technician and didn't know what she was doing. <laughs> um, but then we got the phone call the next day and uh, um, went in to see my, my doctor and she gave us the devastating news about Grace. Um, she said that Grace had very severe hydrocephalus, water on the brain, and that she would probably not survive. And, uh, you know, there's just no words to describe the feeling that you have when you're given a diagnosis like that. Um, we were encouraged um, to abort. We were told that over 90% of people that receive a diagnosis, especially around the brain, whenever there's issue with the brain, abort. Um, but for us, that never, never was a, an option for us. Uh, we just said she's our child, just like our other two, and uh, we just move forward with that. So we went and saw a specialist after that. We were living on the island in Victoria at the time. And so we uh, went and saw a specialist and he confirmed the diagnosis, but he was also much more understanding um, of our decision. And as he was confirming everything, we had just asked him, we said, you know, we know it's inconsequential, but if you're able to, to tell us, we'd love to know the gender of the baby. And we had been praying the night before and singing songs and crying out to God. And the song that kept coming back again and again was Amazing Grace. So when mm. he said it was a girl, Andrew and I just looked at each other and, and we just cried. And it, uh. it was just this confirmation that we had we were receiving unmerited favor. And that's what grace means. Um, an unexpected yet an undeserving gift. We were so sure that um, she would be named Grace. And so that started a really long journey then of uh, pregnancy, lots of appointments. Um, Grace had very severe hydrocephalus, kind of the most severe they had seen in years. And because of the head circumference, uh, she had to be delivered by C-section. And my other two had been delivered naturally. So. Um, we had to actually relocate from the island to Vancouver to be close to Women's Hospital. And um, they, she, she was expected, her due date to be born was March 3rd, 2008. But because of her head circumference, she had to be taken early. So the date that we were given was February 12th. Um, my best friend lived on the mainland and she was so gracious. Her and her husband went and lived with her her grandpa and they gave us their apart or their condo so we could live there and for that month that's amazing amazing right and she had yeah. organized with her care group to have uh, dinners in the freezer and just felt so loved and cared by so many people hmm. that were part of our journey um, and praying for grace and yeah and uh, February 12th came and uh, there were no beds in the NICU for Grace, so they oh, sent us home. <laughs> so you can imagine how the anticipation was building and how disappointing it was. Leaving. Yeah, I'm sure you probably didn't laugh no. then, right? <laughs> no, yeah. especially since oh. I had already had the IV and everything in as well. Oh, my goodness. It's like goodness. five hours of waiting. But, wow. you know, it's just so amazing how negative things can be turned around for good and mm -hmm. I was devastated and I very much was upset but Grace's dates are so important to me they have the fingerprint of God all over them and so mm -hmm. we were called two days later to come in they had an opening and we we went and uh, her birthday was Valentine's Day no. and so as disappointed as I was on the 12th now I look back and it's such a gift. Like every mm -hmm. Valentine's Day, we remember this beautiful little gift of love, our littlest Valentine. Oh, and so yeah. as difficult as that was, I look back with such gratefulness. Um, so we were given the diagnosis that 
Grace with the brain, like she might have minor learning disabilities or she might not be able to breathe on her own mm, when, okay. and, or she might not even survive the pregnancy or labor. So it was like this huge gamut of what we might expect. Um, so I had never had a C-section before and unfortunately I didn't freeze <laughs> like the uh, epidural didn't take and uh, I had to go under. Oh, wow. And that was frightening. Um, waking up and not knowing if my baby was alive or not was very traumatic and very scary. I remember the poor nurse. I I would wake up and I like try to force myself awake, and I'd say, "Was she breathing? Was she breathing? Was she breathing?" And then I'd go back into the fog, and oh. every time that beautiful nurse would say, "Yes, dear, she's breathing and she's beautiful," <laughs> oh. and I'd go back under. Um, how long, Nelia, was it before you woke up after she was delivered? It took about, I think it was four or five hours before I got to see her. Okay. Uh, before I woke up and everyone had seen her <laughs> before me. Um, but they wheeled my wow. bed into the NICU. And um, although everyone had seen her, no one had seen her with her eyes open yet. And when mm. she heard my voice, <laughs> she opened her eyes for the first time. Oh my goodness. And uh, we saw that she had daddy's beautiful green eyes. So wow. that was that was pretty special. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. Yeah, so she had the head circumference of um and it wasn't it was kind of a little bit misshapen because of the uh the ventricles being so swollen. Right. Um about the size of what they'd expect a 5-month-old baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And so um but to me you know, all I saw was, was beauty. She just had the most delicate features mm. and the sweetest little, sweetest little face. So she did, yeah. to help with the um, hydrocephalus, they put in a shunt to help relieve the pressure. Okay. And uh, she went into surgery 18, like within 18 hours of being born, which I think is incredible. And uh, yeah. she, uh, she came out thriving. The doctor said she did great and she was, um, strong and and she she definitely had a voice <laughs> she could definitely cry which we loved Aww. a cute little cry um was yeah. the sir can I just ask a question Absolutely. about the surgery was it to release some fluid from yeah. the brain okay yeah so that the, the shunt goes in and it helps relieve the cerebral okay. spinal fluid okay oh that was the surgery yeah the, yeah. Putting the, shunt the shunt. okay yeah yeah okay. and uh it went well which good. was good yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then from there she, um, we spent two weeks or so in hospital, but uh, she learned how to um, to eat on her own. I she wasn't able to breastfeed, but I was able to pump my milk, so I was really happy that she learned to take a bottle mm-hmm. and yeah. didn't need any tubes other than the shunt. But that was, you know, surgically um, put in, and so we left two weeks later feeling like. <laughs> you're letting us go. It's like, she's had a team of how many people and now they're like, okay, bye. Yeah. And you'd probably heard stories when you were in the hospital of other babies and how long other people were having to stay, right? Especially preemies. Yeah. So two weeks isn't that long. No, it didn't feel, it didn't feel long, but we were excited to, to bring her home. And you know what? She did so well those first three months she did everything a newborn baby does, you know, it, they don't do a lot, but <laughs> she did mm-hmm, all, mm-hmm. all like she'd look in recognition and she'd coo and she was tracking past the midline and kind okay. of hitting all those milestones. Um, but at three months she started to develop seizures, which is very common. Mm, okay. um, and I think just as her brain grew, the neurons and the things just the synapses just were misfiring more and more as the brain grew um, because her brain was kind of squished all around the edge of the ventricles that were enlarged so even though the shunt was put in it didn't uh, it didn't quite fix the the brain part and so um, she just started developing seizures and that really was the beginning of of the end for Grace. Uh, that's ultimately what took her life. Um, but we had uh, beautiful months with her. Our favorite month was August. We were able to go away on a vacation. 
all the way to Victoria, even though we lived in Sydney, which is 25 minutes away. <laughs> but we got to go to stay in a hotel and take a horse-drawn carriage ride and mm-hmm. go swimming and walk the Inner Harbor. And a friend of our, a friend of ours, Lori Bonsky, took beautiful pictures, family pictures, and those are the ones that I think you you've seen with her little pink hat and oh those are beautiful at the pier yeah they just they they helped me remember the most beautiful time where I was just so full of hope yeah for her and so um yeah she almost passed away at nine months she fell into what's called status epilepticus which are uh, seizures that don't stop like oh they just goodness. keep going and going and going. And we were at Children's Hospital at the time. And, and you know, it was talks of do not resuscitate and what to do if she were to code. And, and uh, you know, there was one doctor there. We referred to her as Dr. Doom and Gloom because oh. she was always negative. Like, just mm. did, not, did not think Grace should have survived. Like, she just was just extremely negative and um was she making you you feel like like hopeless like was she just oh yeah yeah oh yeah yeah. she wasn't giving you any signs of this might okay yeah oh oh, that would be it was almost like she couldn't handle the hope and the optimism Mm. she actually sat and I was alone most of the time because we lived in Victoria and we still had our two little kids and Andrew was still working so I was alone in Victoria a lot, uh, Vancouver, sorry, at, at Children's with her a lot during those times. And she called me in and she's like, I just don't think you see the severity of this. And she sat me down and she showed me an, the MRI of Grace's brain and she showed me the MRI of a, of a regular brain. And, and she just went and said, you don't understand. Like, and she just went off on how poor of a life Grace had and would have. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, you can say all you want, but that is not a number to me. That is not a patient to me. That is my baby. Mm-hmm. And I will always have the highest hope for her. Yes. And I got up and I walked away. <laughs> but that's you. who she was. She just was horrible. <laughs> no hope in that. In her, I'm, You know, she probably is, has seen a lot and it's probably a hard job. But uh, to offer such little hope to such a... A grieving mom, I don't, I don't understand it. But uh, fortunately, there was an intern, and because uh, Doctor Doom and Gloom said there's nothing more we can do, and she walked away. And the intern said, you know what? I see the binder you have on Grace. I see the notes that you've taken on her. You know her more than anyone else. What do you think we should do? And I told him the course of action, what medications, and between what time, uh, the time span. And in 20 minutes, her seizures stopped. Wow. So there were, she was having seizures for days and they couldn't figure out how to stop it. But I think the Lord in his divine wisdom gave me exactly what she needed. And um, in that moment, I told, you know, I I was, I told myself that I was going to try to stop fixing her because I was so intent on trying to make her better. But Mm. I just made that intention just to enjoy her enjoy her for who she was and where she was at and and I just cried out to God I remember in a hallway just literally crying out like I'm not ready to say goodbye to her mm. and I said please God because I always prayed for wholeness for grace I just wanted her to be whole and I said if you're not going to heal her here please don't take her from me please let survive every day of the year so that Mm. every day of my life for the rest of my life I can remember that I had her on that day Mm. and God honored that that heart cry she um, she had a great kind of week or so after that but then um, she was no longer able to eat on her own we had to put in a feeding tube and things kind of slowly regressed um, but I had had the wake-up call and I was able to fully enjoy her and fully be her mom and not her pharmacist, not her nurse and not her doctor, but her mom. And um, she passed away exactly one year to her original due date. 
Oh, really? So she was born February 14th, 2008, and she died March 3rd, 2009, which was exactly one year to her original due date. That's so interesting. Yeah, so her dates are uh, incredibly um, special to me. Mm. Wow. Oh, what a sweet, beautiful girl. Oh, she is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that. I know it's hard uh, to kind of revisit, um, even though it's been 10, ten years, years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What was the support like from your your friends and family? I mean, you mentioned um, you were probably talking about Jen. Yes. Um, yeah, and them, you know, moving out of their apartment and letting you stay amazing? there, mm-hmm. which is incredible. And I, I know you have very close family. Mm-hmm. Um, what was some of the support <clears throat> that you received that really meant a lot to you that maybe was different from what you would have thought I'm not Mm -hmm. phrasing this properly, but things that really made you feel supported that you wouldn't have expected. For sure. So uh, there was Facebook back then, but it was not quite what it is now. And so Mm -hmm. I would keep family and friends up to date by writing notes. I don't even think you can do that anymore on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) No, we have groups, right? Groups. Groups Yeah, groups. That's right. It was before Mm -hmm. groups. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so they had the kind of an option where you could write notes. And so I would up update friends and family that way Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much how um, I felt the most supported because um, my family and my friends would then share that story with their family and friends and we had people all around uh, Canada and even some friends around the world that were praying for me and praying for grace. And that's um, exactly how I first learned of your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was such a, a privilege to be able to join with you guys, not even knowing you and Andrew. Colin and I were living in North Vancouver and we were newly married. And I think that, I'm trying to think of the timeline, but I would have been pregnant, I think, because mm. Asha will be 10 in August. Right. So I'm just trying to figure that out. It's late and I'm not formulating numbers very well. But but yeah, um, and so I would have been, yeah. And so, and I remember that it was your sister um, who had had reposted and shared about your story. And I remember reading it and just being, and that was when you were still carrying Grace. Right, yes. She yes. wasn't even born yet. And I remember just joining in with those, mm. with all of the people praying um, and just feeling really led to be a part of that. And I remember seeing the announcement that she had been born and that she'd survived being born. And I remember, and all through Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about the negative side of social media, but there's right. also some very sweet, sweet things. Oh, and, and the Lord can use anything, right? For sure. For, for good purpose and um, just to help people to feel supported but I just felt like it was such a privilege to be able to be one of those people that you didn't even know at the time it's amazing I mean yeah I could feel the prayers of people and that and it's so humbling to think that you would have prayed for me right and not know me Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you among so many others and on those really hard hard days you know it's like when my my arms weren't strong enough to lift anymore I could feel feel the army behind me praying for me yeah it's an incredibly real and powerful thing prayer it really is Mm -hmm. um yeah I actually you just made me think of um how I experienced the same thing after we lost river when I Mm. was um when I openly shared on my Instagram platform and I remember the first few times that I had women who had been I guess you know following along with my my um, blogging account there and um, I remember them sending me private messages and mm-hmm. saying we're pr- I'm praying for you yeah. and I remember thinking you barely know me I know like you know we don't know each other in person and you're you're like and some of them would like really specifically say like I'm praying for you every day yeah. and I remember that just impacted my heart in such a great, huge, huge way. Absolutely. I remember sharing that with Colin, and we were just so moved by that. Mm-hmm. So, 
can you tell us maybe a little bit about uh, if we go back to when Grace was born, what that first meeting with her older siblings was like? Can you? I just I can't remember, but how old would Olivia and Isaiah have been? So Olivia would have just turned three. Okay. And Isaiah was about 19 months. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were itty bitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we tried, we tried really, really hard to um, keep it positive and joyful. And, but it was a lot of transition for them, especially mm-hmm. since we lived on the island. So they had to take a ferry. And, and there was a lot of appointments back and forth. So a lot of transition for them. Um, but, you know, when they saw her, you know, they just melted. They just loved her so, mm. so deeply. And she had such a sweet spirit. I, when you were near her, you just felt like you were near Jesus. I love that um, in the Beatitudes, it's blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Mm. And I really feel that Grace saw Jesus, right? Like she was in communion with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the kids just loved her. You know, they didn't see tubes. They didn't see things. You know, they just doted on her and loved her. And Isaiah, he was so little at the time. He just called her baby, right, all the time. Baby. Mm. And uh, they were just so ready to be big big brother and big, big sister. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. Was um, it a difficult transition when you got home what was that like so it was two weeks in the hospital and then you guys went home what was that like for you just in um mothering um a child with more needs what did it look like kind of give me an idea maybe share with us a little idea of what a good day looked like versus maybe a more challenging day Mm -hmm. well I think a good day was when the older two (laughs) napped (laughs) or at least had their quiet time and stayed in their quiet time it gave a little bit a reprieve. I remember one day in particular, it was raining outside and I had a cup of tea and I was holding Grace and the other two were upstairs um, napping. And I just remember feeling so content and really proud of myself (laughs) (laughs) that I was able to have a cup of tea in that moment. Um, But it was, I mean, you know what it's like, three kids and Mm -hmm. having one that needed a little bit extra care. Mm -hmm. You know, but God definitely gave me, gave me the strength. I mean, I don't, I don't know how we as new mothers do it. Like it's just on such little sleep and, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, they were busy days, but I really feel until she hit that three month mark before the seizures Mm -hmm. started, it really just felt like a regular newborn. She, and if you looked at her, she, you really wouldn't know that there was anything wrong with her, especially if she was wearing a little bonnet. The shunt um, wasn't super noticeable, and I think had she had more hair, it would have been even less noticeable. Um, So it really just felt just the regular newborn chaos. It really wasn't until the seizures hit and the medications and all that kind of stuff started that things became much, much more difficult. Did you find it easy to ask for help when, when all of that started at three months? Yeah, I think I was very blessed because my parents lived on the island and my mom would come and visit quite a few times a week. And so I was able to have reprieve. My younger sister, Diane, also would come and visit and play with the older two. And so I was very blessed that way to have consistent um, care. Our church family was amazing. Um, Whenever I had a quick hospital visit, if I had to pop over to Vancouver and I was gone for a couple of days, I always knew that there would be food for Andrew and the kids. They were Mm. amazing with with bringing over meals. I don't think I, I cooked many meals that year. There was just this food train that just came and came and came and, you know, um, beautiful people, beautiful people in our congregation. One was Mrs. Brackett. She was amazing on uh, on the island in, Victoria, in Sydney. And we always called them Mrs. Brackett cookies because she would make cookies. She would take Olivia and Isaiah for a play date and then come. they'd come back with fresh cookies. Wow. <laughs> amazing. That's a double blessing. <laughs> a double blessing. She yeah. was just so amazing. And so I um. felt... I didn't really need to ask for the help because I was very fortunate to have quite a bit of help. Um, as things regressed, it got quite a bit harder. I wasn't able to leave the house as much. 
because of Grace's care. She um, needed constant kind of suctioning if she was coughing. And so it was, uh, it was just, I was more isolated then. Um, I kind of joke that my only friends were her nurse that would come and visit and then um, the pediatric neurologist. She became a good friend of mine too. Because <laughs> uh, they were kind of the, you know, the only outside people other than my mom yeah. and my sister, of course, that um, right. mm-hmm. I got to see on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that isolation can just make things so much heavier. I mean, as a new mom, you don't get out very often anyway with... Uh, three kids under three, I guess, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just the nights are long <laughs> and there's oh, not, yeah. not a lot of people to talk to in the middle of the night. So. Yeah. What was that? Like the, the night times being up and feeding grace and I'm guessing there was probably a lot of worry. Did you feel worried about her at night while she was sleeping or was that actually peaceful, more peaceful for you? Uh, no, it wasn't peaceful. <laughs> she okay. she slept in our room, um, but the problem at that point with Grace is she would aspirate. So she would, whether it was her her medicine or even just her own saliva, she would often choke. And so she, if she well, coughed at in the, night while she was at, sleeping, especially at night, yeah. Uh-huh. So if I heard her coughing, I had to jump up, run around, and get the suction to help her breathe. So uh, that would happen numerous times throughout the night. So I was always on high alert. Um, so yeah, the nights were lonely. And then as things really regressed, um, we were able to get some nursing hours okay. and she, she, she would come during the night. Um, but there was only one that I really trusted. Her name was Janice. She was amazing. She had a son with hydrocephalus. And so I trusted her so, so much. Um, but the other ones, especially the ones that were more transient and came and gone, I, I never slept well because I... I just worried that something might happen. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be a real issue, just learning how to trust somebody else to provide the care that you have been so used to providing mm-hmm. or that you do provide uh, throughout the course of the day. And um, so I'm glad that you had somebody who you felt you could trust. Yeah, that's a, I That's did. a blessing for sure. What were some of your favorite memories um, with Grace a, a little closer to the time of her passing? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I think one of my uh, most favorite memories was January seventeenth. It was I remember it because I journaled about it, and it was just a beautiful day. It was cold, but the sun was out. And we had this beautiful pram for her, like an old-fashioned pram, which was lovely oh, with I those big those. wheels yeah. so that we could wheel her around when we were on the main floor. And So we just got her all warm, and we went out for this beautiful walk, and the kids rode their bikes to the park. And I just remember that day just being so thankful um, for that moment and just walking in the sunshine. <laughs> Did you get any pictures? Yep. Yeah, okay. got some pictures. Yeah, the the pram we had seen at Canuck Place, they have like a beautiful pram there. It's like the Cadillac of prams, a <laughs> <laughs> beautiful black pram. But we had found one, uh, a secondhand, really nice one as well. So yeah, I really loved that that pram. That's a, a memory for sure. Every time I see the pram at Canuck Place or... We donated her pram um, to Queen Elizabeth, um, which is a um, kind of like a children's, um, not a hospital, but it's kind of like where kids go for occupational therapy and things okay. like that. So, okay. so that people, if they wanted to then rent it out or they could have it for their special needs child. So, yeah, mm. and I think um, with Grace, I just, I have another memory of her on the, uh, like, you know, those bouncy chairs? And we put we put her bouncy chair between Andrew and I, and we I just hold her night hold her hand in the night, and that way I could tell if she was having a seizure or not, and just holding her little hand all night long, and mm-hmm. yeah. And I always say she had a sweet spot, like right under her chin, where I'd kiss her, kind of in her neck there. That was my favorite, my favorite place to kiss her, and she loved it. Mm-hmm. Those are precious memories. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
So you wrestled with God a little bit during this time, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, There were probably a lot of moments of wondering why. Absolutely. And not understanding and questioning his goodness. And you have a story on your blog. um, And for our listeners, you do need to go and read Nelia's blog. It's called beautifullymended.ca. It's just incredible. She is such a beautiful writer. Um, But there's a story on there about the white dress, Mm -hmm. uh, the white dress story. And I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about that story. I was in tears when I was reading it the other night, but um, it's so moving and it's so beautiful. And yeah, so um, I think If I go back just a little bit, I had really hoped that we were going to have grace long term. And Mm -hmm. so there was like this part of me that kind of wondered maybe, maybe we wouldn't have her for a long time, but mostly my mindset was we were going to grow old with her, right? Mm -hmm. That we would be caring for her well into our, into our retirement. And so when things really started to regress in January, um, it was really hard to take. And I think, you know, the, the medical professionals in Victoria were so wonderful and they were so gentle with how they introduced things to us, right? It's like, well, why don't you just talk to this palliative care doctor, right? Like just mm, for yeah. down the road. But when the doctor came and saw her and she was just saying, you know, when children are, are in this first stage and it was that moment where it was like, she's in a stage of, death like it was even though there was a part of me that kind of knew it I just wouldn't believe it yet and so it was this crazy struggle between not wanting to believe what I knew God was trying to tell me and it was this tension um, between belief and disbelief Mm -hmm. and um, we wanted to have her dedicated and we waited till the 25th of January had a big party for her, kind of a little bit of an early birthday party, and um, family from all over came, and um, the the church was just packed for her dedication. And so I was excited to buy her a new dress, so I went to the mall, and it was getting late in the evening. It was probably getting close to 6. It was in the winter, so it was already dark, and um, I found this beautiful pink party dress, And I was just so happy with it. It was just frilly and flowy, and it was just perfect for her. I was just so happy with it. And as I took it off the rack and turned around out of the corner of my eye, I saw the same dress in white that must have just been put in the wrong spot. It wasn't with all the others. It was just all on its own. And I saw it, and in that moment... It's like time stood still. And I heard God say to me, you need to buy that dress. And I knew he didn't mean you need to buy that dress instead of the pink dress. He was saying to me, you need to buy this dress for when grace passes away. And uh, it was the exact same pink dress, but in white. And that struggle, that tension, all of a sudden broke loose. And the reality that I was living on borrowed time with grace was just smacked right up into my face. And I felt um, overwhelmed, but I had such a prompting and a pounding in my chest that I had to buy that dress. So I grabbed it. I didn't even look at the size. I just grabbed it went to the till and made it, barely made it to my van. Mm. And I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And um, it was probably a good 20 minutes. I just cried. And I think it was that moment of realization that I could no longer deny what God had been telling me. I'd had a similar um, situation earlier um, when I was praying and praying for grace's healing this is much earlier in the year and i felt god say to me in one of my um, devotions that i was praying to the miracle and i wasn't praying to him 
and that I was reading the word, but I was reading about miracles and healing, I wasn't listening for his will. Mm. And because um, I was reading Hebrews where it talked about the heroes of faith and that they didn't get what was promised to them. And I was angry that um, it was kind of that same tension where it's like, could I be doing all this prayer and all of this for it not to go well for grace? It was again, that belief and that disbelief. And so, um, I, it was getting late and so I got in the car and I couldn't make it home. I was crying so hard. I couldn't make it home to Sydney. So I stopped at my parents' place and I sat in their driveway and I screamed out to God, like, how can you allow this? Like, she's so innocent. She has done nothing wrong. She's as pure and as white as this beautiful dress without a blemish. How could this be your will? I don't understand how a good God could allow this to happen. And again, uh, very gently but strongly, I heard him say, but I do understand that pain because I gave my son, who was pure and blameless, for the world so that grace will never be separated from me i was separated from my son so that you would never be separated and that grace would never be separated from me and so that was a real turning point um no longer was i in denial i knew that i was living on borrowed time but i was less afraid of saying goodbye because I had that assurance that Jesus would be there. How did you experience God's comfort in the days following that experience? I'm sure that there was a difference all of a sudden, like you were saying, in your um, outlook and perspective of your time with grace. Did you have a few moments during that time that really stood out to you where the Lord just provided that sweet comfort that he can and that he does? I think from that moment until today, that comfort is always there. Yeah. Um, once I allowed him to bring me the comfort, it was always, it was always there. Um, I was angry. It, it wasn't that um, the anger went away, and it, but it was like I knew he was okay with that anger. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think that there are so many um, people, and myself included, and we've talked about this before, that wrestle with thinking that we can't come to him mm -hmm. with those feelings, that anguish, that pain, and that anger mm -hmm. um, when life feels unfair. But I think that we actually, and again, I'm just speaking for myself here, we I have, I just forget constantly who he really is mm -hmm. and that he knows every single emotion and every single thought before we even express it out loud. And he understands where it comes, comes from. Um, and, you know, I'm just thinking about the moms who will be listening to this, who are listening to this and the ones that might be feeling and again, like me, like they have to do things right. They have right. to, you know, be respectful towards God and that they can't come to him with that deep, deep pain. Mm. Um, I only just learned this a year ago, what it really means to come t before God instead of just saying, oh, okay, I'll just, and then keeping all the emotion in, but actually saying, coming to him with those right even yes. a scream or a yell or a, why why and letting that and be, letting yourself be authentic before him and I think that's what he has been teaching me is authenticity before him coming broken and honest and not trying to be perfect or deserving of his love absolutely and um, I guess maybe I just answered a bit of my own question, but do you have any other thoughts on that, Nelia, of uh, just for the mother who maybe is struggling to um, just be honest mm -hmm. um, with her father about 
um, about her her pain. Yeah, I think sometimes we shy away from anger. Anger seems to be an emotion that everyone kind of, you know, it, it kind of gets a rap for being a bad emotion, and and it has it's very strong. And sometimes I think we feel like we can't bring that to God. And I think you had mentioned that it, it might feel a little disrespectful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, I'm a teacher. And when a child is angry in my classroom, I know that that's a secondary emotion. It's the first emotion being acted out. And when I look at that child and I start pulling back why that child is angry, the root is never anger. The root is fear. Mm. The root is shame. The root is um, sadness, brokenness. Mm-hmm. And it was that understanding where Christ looks at us the same way. Yeah, we can get angry. But he knows that that anger is coming from a deep place of brokenness or sadness or fear. And he's always there I mean there are moments that I can remember where I was in the deepest pain and I knew he was right there feeling that pain with me Mm -hmm. and so in the moments where I'm lashing out or I'm angry I know that he knows that the root is brokenness and Mm -hmm. and he he specializes in brokenness right Mm -hmm. like he takes our messy, he takes our broken, and he, and yes. he mends it into something beautiful. Yeah, he really does. Would you agree that when we have feelings of anger um, or despair or um, confusion, frustration, all of these, these emotions we consider negative, which, you know, in essence, they are, it's true, isn't it, that if we don't come to our Father with them, mm-hmm. Um, honestly, that we often will end up running away. Oh, yeah. Because we're we're so heavy-hearted with something that is supposed to be placed before him. Yeah. It becomes a burden that we're trying to carry alone. Mm -hmm. And the whole relationship that he wants with us is based on honesty and based on a trust and a love Mm-hmm. Um, like no other, right? He is that rock. He wants to be that rock. He wants to be that place that we we go to first um, for comfort. And so, yeah, I think it's such an important thing to um, always reflect on is, is that um, openness that we really do have um, in our relationship with God to just be real mm-hmm. and I was thinking about we often our kind of first um, response when things are hard is, is to go to God but then we also really just need people to be around us and we've talked mm-hmm. about community and support but I was curious as to um, whether or not you had other women in your life who had actually walked something similar mm-hmm. that you were able to communicate with um, and talk about some of those big emotions with. Did you have anyone in your life that you were aware of or even someone that you had heard of that you were able to get in touch with or did that happen after Grace passed? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, there were, at least in physical presence with in Victoria, there was no one. I, I had tried to go to a few kind of groups, like special special needs groups, but Grace's needs were even like way more severe than than that and so I didn't quite fit in there and then I didn't quite fit in with the regular mommy group um, so I, I was feeling incredibly isolated in that regard even though my sisters were calling and my friends and mm-hmm. but um, to kind of hear from someone who's been in on this path there was really no one, um, but again, speaking about social media, mm-hmm. um, through Facebook, I was able to meet a wonderful um, person who I've actually never met in real life, um, but her name was Lynette, and she had lost her daughter named Rachel just a few months before Grace had passed away, and she was an amazing 
resource to me. Um, just being able to see her, her pictures and seeing that she was able to experience joy again in life, it just, it gave me such a hope. And um, I don't know if she ever, or if she even knows how important that friendship became to me. It was a lifeline. Um, we were then connected also with Canuck Place, and through Canuck Place, and this was closer uh, to the end of Grace, our time with Grace, uh, we met some beautiful families um, at Canuck Place, and so there I was able to connect and meet families that were going through grief as well. And so that, again, um, it's, just, it's just a comfort that no one else can really understand until they've walked it, and nor do you want anyone to have to understand that pain but when you mm -hmm. find someone that has been on this road it's like an instant kindred spirit yeah yeah I understand that mm -hmm. okay so how in the years that followed were you able to reach out to other mothers did what kind of opportunities were there to share Grace's stories to connect with other women um, and to be able to encourage others mm-hmm um, so online, there weren't a lot of groups. There was the Compassionate Friends, which is, I think, uh, quite a well-known group. But um, I wasn't able to really find um, really a, a blog or anything that was able to kind of help guide me. So I went to the library, and I found uh, a book called The Death of a Child, Reflections for Grieving Parents by Elaine E. Stilwell. And that that really helped <laughs> just hearing the story of a mom and she actually lost both of her children in a car oh. accident it is oh um, but hearing her courageous journey back to find joy in life again was a lifeline for me uh, later on I read um, from grief to glory a book of comfort for grieving parents by James Bruce and uh, they talked about people that have um, lost children, people such as Charles Spurgeon, John Bunyan, Martin Luther, and it was um, another, uh, an amazing source of comfort for me as well. Um, I also love 1,000 Gifts by Anne Voskamp. That really helped, um, helped me learn to find the joy in the pain. Mm. Um, and, but, and so, other than that, I just promised that any opportunity that I had to share my story of grace that I would. And so um, whether it was at a, a preschool get-together or at the park, if it came up naturally, I would always share my story of grace. And then friends of friends would contact me um, of a friend that was going through grief and they'd connect me with them and again we would just share our stories. Um, we spoke at Canuck Place at their Gift of Time Gala. Um, yeah so I think it's kind of come up organically and I think God's really orchestrated some divine moments for me to share Grace's story and in turn um, help others. Um, a really good friend of ours lost their adult daughter just a few years back and uh, to be able to be there for them you know it's they were there for us as we grieved and then to be able to be there for them it's uh, it's humbling and it's it's an honor yeah I can imagine can you um, share with us how you remember grace specifically um, do you mind to talk about Disney Oh, yes, of course. Uh, well, Disney came after Grace had passed away. Um, but one story that I think I love when I think back to Grace and our time with her, um, again, Grace was in her pram, and Olivia comes running into the kitchen, and she's maybe, what, almost four. Mommy, Mommy, Grace said her first word. And I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> I don't think she knows enough to say words. But she's like, she said her, her first word. I said, oh, Olivia, what, what did she say? What was her first word? She goes, meow. <laughs> and so Grace had these really cute little noises. And she really did sound like a cat. It was like these little like meow 
noises and so I always think that's so funny that her first word was meow according to Olivia (laughs) that is so precious I love that story so yeah after Grace passed away our um, amazing church family um, gave us a love offering um, so that we could go to Disney World to reconnect as a family and learn how to be a family of four after being a family of five Uh, wonderful friends of ours, the Wakefields, um, let us use their timeshare for two weeks in Florida. And um, Andrew and I were not Disney people. We had never been to Disney as kids. So we're like, okay, well, the happiest place on earth. I don't know. It all seemed a little strange to be going to Disney World. And, but we knew we needed it as a family, just emotionally, just to reconnect and find joy. And especially for Olivia and Isaiah. So we walked into the park and you know it wasn't it was moments and i was crying like this is the happiest place on earth and so we made beautiful memories there releasing balloons for grace and we bought her mini ears and we have a beautiful picture of the two of them um olivia and isaiah arm in arm wearing their mickey and minnie hats and then grace's little hat beside them and the caption was always in our moments right it's like in every moment she's always there and so um disney became really really special it was the first time that we felt true joy in the pain um and so we've been multiple times since but to disneyland but uh, we told ourselves that in 10 years we would go back And uh, it seemed ludicrous to think about Olivia and Isaiah at 13 and 14 when they were only three and four. But here we are 10 years later. And in four days, we are headed to Disney World. And to look back at God's faithfulness that we not only survived, but we've we've thrived. And that is only by God's grace. And that's only by the lessons Mm -hmm. and the strength that grace taught us and continues to teach us. What do you think that first moment of kind of walking back into Disneyland will be like for you? Do you think that that will feel emotional? Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) I've already been feeling emotional these last few days. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, and and so I think sometimes people say, oh, time heals. And I don't think time heals. I think it's what we do with that time and what we do with that Mm -hmm. pain. And I always feel like we just get better at the balance. It's like you learn to live fully in the present with part of your heart already in heaven. It's this really delicate balance. And then there are days where you can't keep the balance, like anniversaries or certain things trigger. Mm, But we've we've learned the balance. And um, I'm sure that when we walk into Disney World, the tears will be flowing again. But... uh, There'll be tears of gratefulness. Mm. Do you have anything special that you want to do as a family when you, when you go, mm-hmm. just as a something significant for Grace? Yeah, we'll we'll recreate the picture again with the the mini ears. So we take her mini ears with us, oh. and we always re kind of reenact it. And it'll be, I think, mm. pretty sweet now that they're so big, <laughs> thirteen yes. and fourteen now. Um, yes. We built a a build a bear. They have a -A Build-A-Bear in uh, Disneyland. So when we were there a few years back, we made a -A Build-A-Bear for Grace. And so that will come along as well. Um, I kept one of Grace's blankets um, with me. uh, So that will come as well. (laughs) There'll be a lot of moments to remember and reflect. um, uh, To remember and reflect a beautiful little girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing those pictures and and being able to kind of feel that that with you and and uh, to pray for you in in those moments. Thank and you. I really hope it's a, a really sweet, sweet and uh, special time for you guys. Okay, now I'm just gonna ask you a little question, and I didn't give you a heads up about this, but if you had four hours all to yourself. Mm. And someone had already cleaned the whole house for you. <laughs> <That's a good laughs> <one>. <laughs> what would be your ideal way to spend that time? Where would you go? What would you do? Hmm. <laughs> I think I would make myself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, depending on the time of day. And I would journal and read. <laughs> 
That seems to be a common response to this question. Oh, that's so funny. It's funny because the first thing I thought of is I'd probably clean the house. And then that is exactly why I wrote that little extra in there. Somebody else did it for you already because, yeah, most of us would. Most of us would. Well, a cup of tea or coffee with a book. Yep. I think that sounds pretty delightful. Maybe just share just a few words of wisdom that you would offer a mother who is currently walking through um, this journey with a child that has a, a terminal mm. diagnosis or just just who is feeling worried about um, what life might be like for her child uh, after they're born. Mm-hmm. For me, what really got me through... Um, was holding on to that hope Uh, even when things seemed dim um, I wrote a lot of scripture verses and um, encouraging notes for myself sticky notes were all over my house (laughs) around my mirrors um, everywhere I looked there were um, sticky notes with verses reminding me of God's faithfulness and during that time any spare moment I had, I was I was in the Word, and I think it built me up for the times when I didn't have the time to read the Bible, or I didn't have the time to really stop and meditate because life was going at lightning speed. The truths were hidden in my heart because I had seen it and I had prepped myself. And so I think my greatest suggestion would be to um, just fill your mind with positive thoughts, um, fill your mind with scripture and truth, and um, allowing God to be that default and his word to be your default, Um, because it's so easy to um, feel the negative, feel the fear, Um, and so I think that would probably be my greatest advice. My greatest advice for parents that are grieving, um, I learned through watching my own kids grieve. Uh, they would cry out and they would just be so, so sad. And then they'd dry their tears, they'd hop off my lap, and they would go and play. And so I think I, I learned that when you're feeling that pain, when the, when the grief starts to bubble over, that you allow yourself to feel that pain, to really feel it and to really cry and really be in the moment but just not stay there too long. Um, So lean into the pain, don't stay there too long. And then another big idea for me through counseling was it's okay to feel joy and sadness at the same time. Yes, yeah. It feels really contradicting, Mm -hmm. but it's, yeah. It's good. Just because you feel one, it doesn't diminish the other. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard when you're kind of struggling with guilt. Like, how can I be laughing Mm -hmm. when I just buried my my child, right? Yes. Oh, yes. um, But when you understand that you can feel equal joy and equal sadness, and just because you're feeling Mm -hmm. joy doesn't decrease your longing or your grief. It just gives you the freedom to be present in both. Yeah. Yeah. That's such great advice. Thank you so much, Nelia. I just know that this this story of yours and your precious grace has touched so many lives. And uh, the Lord is just using that beautiful heart of yours um, to also just minister to so many um, women and families walking through this. So I will make sure to link to um, your blog and to some of the resources that you shared so that our listeners um, are able to access that easily. And and again, thank you. Thanks so much, Nellie. It was so good to talk to you. Thank you for letting me share our amazing journey of grace. I'm really grateful for this time spent with Nellie. Her story stirred up a lot of emotions for me, and it reminded me yet again of how important it is not to run from the pain we experience in life, whether it's through the loss of a child or something different. If we feel the urge to run, friends, let's run together and towards Jesus, as hard as that might be. 
There is so much to gain by taking the time to listen. Sometimes it's hard to find the time to ask someone about their motherhood story, but imagine if you were the first person to ask her. We love to share our birth stories, our gender reveals, and everyday challenges and joys. But what if we took a few extra minutes to ask a friend about the baby she lost without fear of stirring up emotions? Imagine how freeing that could be for her. And even if you are met with some awkwardness or a closed door, it's still worth the risk. I'd love to see you over on Instagram at Knowing Motherhood Podcast and on Facebook too at Knowing Motherhood. Make sure to stay connected because in the new year, our website will be launching officially with resources and devotionals and other things that I'm really excited to share with you. A little reminder also to check the show notes for all resources mentioned in this episode. And I'm really looking forward to sharing next week's conversation with you. So click on the subscribe button and make sure that you get a notification when it's available. Until we meet here again next week, I'm praying and I mean it that you will be filled with joy to face what's before you today and hope for all that is meant for your tomorrow. Keep your eyes up, Mama. You are so very loved.